This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing, and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of And welcome to all the listeners to the Doc and Guru podcast this week. Uh, it's the Guru flying solo today because the Doc is. Yep, you're right. He's still in Austria and he has not deigned to come back to the sunny slopes of South Africa. But we have an excellent substitute for, for the Doc's wisdom when it comes to brand and marketing because in this episode of the Doc and Guru podcast, we're chatting about. The new brand finance report, South Africa's most valuable brands, and we've got with us no other lesser personage than the brand father himself, Jeremy Sampson, Managing Director of Brand Finance South Africa. Jeremy, nice to have you on the show. Always good to be with Gurus, Gordon. Great to be with you, and uh, pity the doc isn't here. We could... uh pull his leg about being a full professor, but I'm sure you've probably done that already on this series. Well, I haven't seen the piece of paper yet. And, you know, his first response as a professor was to go off skiing in the Alps, which strikes me as lacking in uh, academic discipline. But enough, you know, we don't want to be too harsh on the boy. He's, uh, he's having a good time. And he did yield a lovely podcast last week from the Austrian Alps, the scene uh of Spectre, the shooting of, of some of the scenes of Spectre. So you know, it was a really interesting insight. And uh, we'll, we'll, that should be something that everybody loops back to listen to. But uh, let's talk about the most valuable brands because uh, we attended the launch at the Joburg Stock Exchange, who I think, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the, the sponsors. So thanks to JSE for that. It's a superb venue, I must say, for uh, marketing-related functions. Um, but, you know, as you say in your intro to, to the report, it's been over 100 weeks since the start of the pandemic. The first 50-odd weeks, brand value declined minus 2%. But the second 52 weeks, brand value has increased by 8%. 
and in response to that, you, you, you've developed a theme which I think is really quite affirming and positive given the news we've been through in the last few weeks, that SA Brands driving the economy. And you've expanded uh, the report because of that sort of driving the economy uh, lens to, to looking at the top 100 brands. So give us a bit of the background on, on that sort of positivity and that opened lens. Right. I think some people will be aware that uh, brand finance is London-based. Um, it's been around now 26 years. Uh, the founder was David Haig, and David and I worked together when we were both at Interbrand, uh, first in London and then me out here and him still in London. So uh, David and I go back quite a long way, and brand finance in that time has, um, I have to say, blossomed, especially interestingly, the last three or four years, where it's now stretched out as a full global organization uh, in well over 20 odd countries representation. And as you know, what makes it unique from anyone else is that it's ISO, the International Standards Organization, which is of course where uh, a certain gentleman is skiing at the moment, that's the home of it, Austria. Although Austria's best known brand of course remains Red Bull, but we won't talk Formula One, will we? Um, so, you know, this is where um, brand finance has a history. Basically, it's a bunch of accountants and they're chartered accountants uh, who have huge knowledge in marketing. And now the organization is split really between the financial guys and the marketing guys and working together. And this is where we talk about um, bridging the gap between marketing and finance, because this is what it's all about. I think, as we know, sometimes in companies, uh, the relationship isn't always the smoothest between the marketing department and the financial, um, and sometimes with good reason. Uh, but we believe that um, any organization, of course, you've got to all work together. You're on the same team, you have the same enemies out there, so work together. And that's where we help bridge the gap, which means sometimes that if the marketing departments want to get into some really heavy financial uh, conversations with their CFO and the CEO and even their board, we can actually work alongside and partner and help that debate and you know, pick out perhaps some of the weaknesses in what's going on, the marketing. And of course, we can always help the marketing department ask for more money. Um, I know people laugh about that. And uh, Brian Monaghan, the head of Bank, uh, was it that? Bank America was talking on one of our webinars the other day, and he says, marketing always asks for more money. But um, he said, as long as we get a full substantiation and it stands up and stacks up financially, then off we go. So the South African rankings, first time in what, ever, because we started eight or nine years ago, that we've gone up to 100. We obviously uh, do the valuations, as you know, uh, without the help of the individual companies and brand owners. And that means that as we get into especially some of the smaller brands, it's sometimes a bit tricky finding the financials uh, and maintaining the integrity of, of the rankings. But this year we felt that we stretched out and always cut off at 50 for the last couple of years. So why not? Let's, let's stretch out and do the full 100. And I think it's brought up some very interesting results as well. Yeah, and I think that expanded lens has done exactly that. There's some fascinating journeys. And for me, you know, dyed in the wool advertising media guy, 
it's where that finance meets marketing that it becomes really intriguing for, for the media industry, um, where that dynamic between the value of the brand and, and its contribution to the bottom line uh, becomes so fascinating. But yeah, um, we won't talk F1, although I must, you know, when it comes to brands, it, it's an intriguing permutation where Lewis Hamilton, who's an Arsenal fan, is putting in a bid to purchase Chelsea. I think that's kind of fascinating <laughs> in and of itself. Um, and if, if I had a chance to chat to Lewis, I would have a stern word with him about about that uh, particular offer. I think that's a bit dodgy. You don't, you don't want to be buying Chelsea when you're, a, when you're a gooner. Lewis, come on, get your game together, man. But uh, before we get into the juicy bits on the movement and the report, a, a little bit of insight. And, and again, I would just encourage everybody to, to go to the Brand Finance website, download the report, because all of the definitions around things like brand strength index, overall brand value, etc., they're all in there. But maybe just unpack a little bit about the, the sort of various layers that you use to calculate uh, a, the brand value, and then also the strength of the brand, which is the interesting part, I think, from an advertising perspective. I think with all valuations, you want to go back three, four, five years, and then go forward two or three years and see what the trends are. Um, and as you were rightly saying, anyone in the marketing advertising business knows that um, the cornerstone of any business, the major asset of most businesses, is going to be the brand or the brands. Uh, and that's why it's so important that they're looked after. Um, and this is where we say, well, let's define what is the brand and does it have any value? Um, you know, it's all very well looking at fast moving consumer goods, um, but then you actually have to look at the business to business side as well, where sometimes you have very significant brands. And this after all is the responsibility of the marketing department. If you're looking after an asset that's worth 1 billion rand, that's already a huge responsibility. But if in the case of MTN, you're looking after a brand that's worth 50 billion, that's a huge responsibility. Mind you, having said all that, when you look at what happened yesterday, where Elon Musk decided to uh, buy Twitter, after all, he only started the conversation, what, about four weeks ago? Now he's actually got it in the bag. He's paid, what is it? Um, nearly 50 billion, yeah, billion yeah. US dollars. And, and as one of the pundits from the state said, well, it's only 20% of his assets, guys, so don't worry. You know? So he's got 50 billion US dollars and it's only 20% of his assets. Not bad for um, an old boy from Pretoria Boys High. Absolutely, and particularly when it didn't even make the first 15. I mean, how, how is that possible? You know that playing first team <laughs> rugby is just the is the most iconic thing you can achieve. But anyway, it's enough about that. But, you know, that does loop back to something very interesting. Uh, and you, you also reference, you go back a couple of years and come forward. I, w I would say you want to get the best value out of the 2022 report. Read last year's report. Where, uh, or maybe it was 2020, where there was a lot of emphasis on intangible assets. And I would love to see, you know, the 2023 report or, or something which unpacks the intangible assets around that Twitter uh, bid. I mean, it's a fascinating prospect, uh, and hopefully your guys will be on that already trying to unravel it. I'm sure they will. Uh, but you're raising a very, very good point as well that, um, you know, this is where the reports come out regularly. As you've referenced, go on to the brandfinance.com website. It's all there. If you can't find things, you can always give me a shout. Um, but by looking and looking back and looking forward, you get a sense of what's going on. 
Um, I think uh, I'm right in saying that Twitter's been around about 16 years. It's never made much money. In fact, most years it's actually probably lost money or broken even. Uh, and that's where it's fascinating that uh, people are going to be debating, I'm sure, long and hard, how is he going to make money out of it? Uh, if in fact he yeah. wants to make money out of it. And that's perhaps another question. But you know, you're absolutely right. And coming back to you know, the valuation process, as you say, we have the brand financial value. Uh, and again, it's uh, ISO 10668. And then we have the brand equity, which is the brand strength, where we, any brand that we look at when it comes to the brand strength, we draw up a scorecard of about 100 points. And to those 100 points, it'll vary by marketing uh, sector, because as we know, brands are very, very important when it comes to, say, cosmetics and perfumes. That's just about the highest. And they're usually at the least important when you come down to utilities. Um, although, I, having said that, that's beginning to change a little bit, and utilities are actually beginning to have greater value, especially in uh, the Northern Hemisphere sadly not in South Africa at the moment. Also, it's interesting to see that we look at things like soft power, and we've had a, a summit in London about six weeks ago, which was the first physical summit we'd had for three years, of course. And again, go and have a look at soft power, because that is all about reputation and influence. And of course, soft power is the exact opposite of what the Russians are demonstrating in the Ukraine at the moment. But where does soft power come from and how does it influence? And again, we actually drill down and uh, as you've referenced in the report, we talk about the soft power of South Africa and how much influence does that have, not just in Africa, but across the world. So this is where we're doing lots of rankings, lots of measurement of brands um, and brands we relate to people all the way through to political parties and countries. All of these can be measured and tracked you can see what's going on. And over time, some very interesting trends are coming through. Yeah, I mean, we'll come back to the issue of soft power in a moment, because that for me is absolutely fascinating. And I think the definition uh, of soft power, generally speaking, is the ability to co-opt rather than to coerce, which is something uh, Vladimir Putin has failed to master at this point. But you know, just thinking on the Twitter thing, I mean, you know, I wonder if is Donald Trump a tangible or an intangible asset? Because the value of allowing him access to Twitter, once again, from Elon Musk's perspective, uh, I would imagine has been computed into that forty-nine billion rand purchase price. But let's come back to um, you know some of the big brands and sectors. I mean, the big sectors dominate, and therefore the big brands dominate. So MTN, Vodacom, the big banks. Um, that, in a sense, has been predictable, but there are some movements within that, like the rise and rise of Capitech, although that's probably better reflected under the brand strength rather than brand value. What you know, is it is it predictable that these sectors will always dominate? Um, uh, I guess hundred years ago, the banks, you know, would uh, the, the 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 mining companies would have dominated. Well, again, a very good question, and this is where we find that um, in emerging markets, especially. Uh, the makeup of brands is fairly consistent. As you've highlighted, it's banks and telcos. Um, although having said that in South Africa, we've got retail has just edged beyond insurance, which is interesting. But then move away from emerging markets into say the United States. And of course it's the tech brands that are dominating. 
and uh, whether it's the uh, Apples or Amazons or Microsoft, um, those are the top ones. And I think any economy, to be blunt, needs tech brands. And sadly, in South Africa, they're virtually non-existent. There, I guess three, four years ago, we were talking about EOH, but then EOH has had huge issues. And I think two years ago, it dropped to number 50, and this year it's dropped even further out. Mm. So um, you, you have the different makeups and you're absolutely right. But I guess the, the very big winners in South Africa have been retail. Um, I think the retail guys, and let's face it, there are what, nearly half a dozen of them, are um, really competing very hard against each other, but doing a pretty good job as well as we think back of how we've uh, sailed through COVID. Yeah, uh, the retail winners uh, in terms of brand equity or strongest brands is, is, is crucial. I want to come back to that in a moment because I want to look at Checkers and Woolworths, both of uh, whom you've identified with some interesting observations. But just coming back to the, you know, the, the most valuable brands, uh, multi-choice still at number six, you know, it's almost counterintuitive. I, I just seem to have seen a tidal wave of negative press. And in my, you know, I'm probably operating at the branded level rather than your financial level, which is why I was surprised to see it's still such a mass- massive player. And Mondi, although it's down, um, I think, one position, it's up, you know, kind of 12%. Um, what What's the ma- magic of Mondi? I mean, I thought we lived in a metaverse, uh, you know, or again, am I just thinking Mondi prints paper and there's no more paper? Um, so those two were intriguing <laughs> in terms of the size and value. You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. Yeah, no, and all very good questions. I must say, I sometimes look at the results and I speak to my colleagues in London and saying, well, you know, we're doing now our own bespoke research. How is it that this one's gone up so much or this one mm. hasn't, whatever? I think when you think Mondi, you think also Sapi. And um, and this is where, as you say, it's it's paper and corrugated, but now it's so much more uh, into clothing and various other fa- fabrics. But it is interesting how things can change and move around. But also the South African domicile brands, which have international reach. And this is where Mondi has huge reach. In fact, Mondi is one of the companies um, that's taken a bit of a hit because of the Russian-Ukraine war. They have interests in Russia. And this is where it's quite interesting when you actually start looking at these companies and these brands to realize how big they are and their global reach and the influence they have. And that's one of the main reasons Mondi is is where it is. Um, and then so many of the other brands, of course, are purely, purely South Africa. Um, and Capitec is one of those. Um, but most of them, especially the banks, have now reached up into Africa. You know, one shouldn't forget that people like ABSA are in nine countries. Uh, Standard Bank is probably in even a little bit more. Old Mutual as well. And then people like MTN, if you go to the top of the pile, you know, still has considerable reach around the world. I know they're pulling back a little bit from a couple of uh, countries, but when you actually go back only, what, two years ago, consider that they're in 21, 22 countries, and countries like Afghanistan and Yemen and Syria and Iran, um, now those are all very, very difficult markets but those were some of their key markets. 
And of course, another of their very key markets is Nigeria. Um, and uh, when you're brave and you go into territories like this, it's going to create its problems. But certainly MTN at the moment, for the most part, seems to be going very, very strongly. Yeah, and I, I think you're, you know, talking about Mondi, I'd lost sight of the global sort of scale of, of Mondi, and which to a large degree uh, introduces a topic we'll talk about in a moment, the uh, uh, the fact that South African businesses, you know, the po- whatever positive imaging we have as a brand, uh, South Africa, uh, that positive imaging is being driven by businesses, and we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that in a moment. Just looping back to two of the big winners in terms of, of strongest brands, Check is in as the strongest brand uh, in number one, up 71%. And you reference there something which is intriguing, ability to respond to changing consumer demand during the pandemic. So there was a specific um, which uh, was really interesting. So I guess we're talking the 60-60 initiative, that type of thing. And then Woolworths uh, up 37% in, um, uh, into number four slot in terms of the strongest brand. Again, almost counterintuitive for me. Um, you know, I'm not shopping at Woolies quite as much as I want. It was sort of a trade-off uh, between Woolies and Checkers and the new Checkers superstores. Um, but what drives Woolies is the parochial support in South Africa. Local consumers feel a sense of national affinity. So talk about that balance between my affinity for a retailer at a national level like Woolworths, but my desire to have an immediate response um, due to the change of consumer circumstance in the market with, with the Checkers. Well, I think, Gordon, you and I, as we go about our business, are doing our own research all the time. And, uh, you know, I live in the Olovo area of Johannesburg, and my nearest shopping centre has got both a Woolworths Inn and a Checkers. And it's been fascinating that I tend to go to the Checkers, and I still do go out and shop, as I believe it's part of my keeping up to date, if I can call it that. My wife prefers to go to Woolworths. Um, and yes, sometimes we have deliveries as well. But it is fascinating to see the changes because checkers now have all these scooters buzzing around the area. Uh, and this is where they've responded incredibly well and these various initiatives. And I think people like Pick and Pay are having to play catch up there. Woolworths has still maintained its quality. And I think they've been sharpening their pencils a little bit when it comes to their pricing. Although in all these places, you've got to be, I think, discerning and careful. Uh, and I don't think we've got time this morning to go on to the house brand debate versus uh, owned brand, shall we say. Mm. Um, but it is very interesting what's going on and what's happening. And then, of course, one mustn't forget SPA as well. So those are virtually the big four. Also interesting that when one looks at the value of checkers, of course, some of my colleagues overseas don't realize that ShopRite and checkers are the same group. So between the two of them, the power they have is actually very, very considerable. It's just such a fabulous case study. You think back 20 years ago and the relative positioning of a shop right and the checkers, um, you know, down market, don't worry about Woolworths, down market of pick and pay. That, it's been such a fascinating shift. I hope somebody uh, writes up that case study one day for a master's thesis. I'd love to read it. Um, one of the, the intriguing uh, subsets within uh, the report is the coolest brands. Um, I don't have access to the full report, but you know, there's some interesting insights about global brands. So, uh, 
how do you drive? How do you make your brand cool? I, I get you how you make your brand strong, but how do you make a brand strong and cool? Uh, and and I think word of mouth seems to be an, an element uh, uh, of, of that dynamic. Yes, and I think this is where you have to dig then out into the demographics and to you know different layers of ages, um, and. Again, you've referenced the fact that perhaps 20 years ago you wouldn't go down that far, but I think now you go down to children under the age of 10 um, and then layering up to, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, and you go through the different generations, I know. Uh, but it is interesting that, again, I've never really heard a good definition of what is cool. Um, someone said if you're being called cool, then already you're not cool anymore. Um, and I guess that's another debate as well. But, you know, within different groups, whether it's your kids or if you've got them grandchildren, it is fascinating to actually ask them, what are their favorite brands? What are they using? What do they love? And as I say, even, you know, real youngsters now, pre-teens, will start talking about what's their favorite, this or that, or on the radio or a pop star or a TV personality. And of course, through the the explosion of digital and how many young kids now have got not just cell phones, but they've got iPads as well. They have access to computers. So everyone is much more aware. And I guess cool in the end becomes almost what you wear. Um, how do you project yourselves in public? Do you want to look as though you're affiliated with a brand like Nike? Um, is that cool? Or is that now passe? Do you want Puma or Adidas or whatever? So cool, I think, comes in very many forms, but when you're part of a group of people, a community, as it were, your age group, I think you're often easily influenced by your mates and your friends, uh, and that relates through to then what brands do you associate with and what you wear. Yeah, I mean, I think the best way to uncool a brand is, you know, as a grandfather is to actually use it in front of the, the teenage grandchildren. That becomes spectacularly uncool. <laughs> um, but coming back to the issue of, of, of a soft, uh, soft power and, and the soft power index, um, what kind of blew me away, and it's something I've talked about with the doc before, and, and it's a measure of how far down the, you know, the, the rabbit hole of uh, kind of just negative content that I've allowed myself to absorb that so that when it comes to uh, soft power that brand South Africa is a lot stronger than uh, we might have imagined I think we sit at number 34 on the global brand equity monitor out of 120 countries with the weakest of the BRICS nations but we're number one in Africa so what's driving you know that uh, well, I think quite quite impressive performance on, on, on the Global Brand Equity Monitor. You know, the uh, the Soft Power Summit we had in London about two months ago, and it was at the Queen Elizabeth Centre at Westminster. So there were probably about 400 people there. And um, during the lunchtime, we had a, a breakout session, uh, which I emceed with Brand South Africa. And um, we actually had a full house. We weren't sure how many people would, would come and join us. Uh, but the room that we had had standing room only, which was very encouraging. But I think what it does um, illustrate is that sometimes within South Africa, we have a more jaundiced and negative view uh, of the country compared with the view from outside. Um, and 
it was interesting, and you'll have seen that I've referenced it in the in the commentary I wrote on soft power in South Africa, that it was Mark Kutifani, who's just stepping down as the CEO of Anglo-American. And of course, before he moved to London with Anglo, because of course Anglo is now domiciled in London and the UK, he was at Anglo Godashanti. And at Anglo Godashanti, um, I worked with him as a client for a couple of years. And I must say, of all the CEOs I've had the privilege of working with, he is right up there. He's, uh, he's brilliant. But in one of his very last, um, I think it was analyst presentations earlier this year, he actually referred to the fact that um, South Africa is still a very good opportunity. And he said people from outside give it a, a fairly negative press at times. Whereas he said within all the countries that Anglo works in, he said, as far as he's concerned, it's right up there. I think he was being very uh, careful with his wording, uh, because as we know in this country, mining, um, and incidentally in the top 50, it was a surprise this year that seven, no less than seven mining resources companies have entered the top 50. Um, the big hurdle for them is often dealing with government and the restraints that uh, the current minister imposes on the mining industry. Yeah. But, but Mark makes that point very, very strongly, that if you're outside the country, you probably think more positively than if you're living within the borders of South Africa. Yeah, I mean, for me, the uh, the growing importance of the mining uh, sector in terms of brands with Anglo-American Platts at number 34 and Implats at 36, um, I was intrigued, you know, for me, I, I kind of almost view that, that mining sector as uh, branded black matter in space, anti-matter. You know, I can't get my head around something that big being a brand. But that's, I think, what makes the report interesting. It changes the, the limited kind of view we sometimes have in advertising. It's sort of the FMCG or services level and not realizing brands go right to the top. And, and in terms of, uh, you know... Can, sorry, can yeah, I cut yeah, in, Gordon? Yeah. Because you're, you're absolutely right. But you know, a couple of people have said to me since the report came out, well, why does a mining house need to adopt branding or marketing issues? And I said, well, just stop and think about it. They still need to get the top talent, the top staff. So from the HR perspective, um, having a good, strong reputation and a strong brand is important. But the other factor is all of these are listed on the stock exchange, not just the JSE. Mm. Some of them are on international ones as well. And you and I know how important investor relations is today in making sure that your brand is right up there and respected and uh, the fund managers take an interest in investing in it. So that's where I come back to what we were saying earlier, that everything today is brandable and reputation is all given the importance of just about any sector today. And, you know, coming back to brand South Africa, um, you know, in, in your report, you you quote Henry Ford, it, it's a super uh, observation. You can't build a reputation of what you say you're going to do because the report's quite clear. It's business that's driving this positive brand, SA imaging, and the, and the gap between the performance of business sector versus the political sector is huge. And that is interesting because uh, a week or two back, we did the Edelman Trust report for this year and the gap in trust between business and, and uh, politicians has, is, is even greater than ever. In fact, people now trust their own, the, the companies they work for more than, than any other sector, including the media, which I think is interesting. So last comment, yeah, what, what are we doing right in the SA business to, to build the, uh, the value of brand South Africa on a global stage? 
I think it's it's the front page of Business Day this morning that's saying that the ANC is now considering working with private partners to sort out the, the public so-called SOEs, etc. Um, it's been a long, long time coming and uh, it still hasn't come fully. But I think this is where we realize that brands in any country create jobs. And boy, do we need jobs in this country. They create profit and that means they pay taxes and uh, they can be an example to the community of how they perform. Now, coming back to the mining industry, uh, they've had to put in all sorts of um, housing facilities and basic housing that mining houses put in is far, far better than some of the terrible basic housing that still exists in this country. And also they're putting in electricity and water and supplies and giving uh, the communities that work on the mines more security as well. So I think this is where there are, there are so many aspects to a brand, um, but it can be a power for good. It can be a trusted partner. And the more we have people from the private sector collaborating with government and government letting go of certain areas, uh, I think it'll be the better for us. Uh, I, I have to say, whilst we're talking, I'm absolutely appalled at the way um, Mr. Director at ESCOM is being pilloried all the time why he puts up with it, I don't know. All I do know is he's a highly competent professional manager. He's doing his best. And as the lady from the head of business leadership put it the other day, he's inherited a mess from 15 years ago where ESCOM was underfunded, underinvested in and interfered with. And to me, this is where the private sector must be brought in more and more and allowed to get on with it. And I think the country would be much better for it. Yeah, indeed. And I think we could all do without the uh, the spectacle of, of Scoper and, and some of the shenanigans that were going on there. But, Jeremy, I think we, we kind of run out of time. And uh, we've, you know, I'm just conscious of the doc also be listening in on this while he saves the world from global turmoil in, in, uh, <laughs> in his James Bond hideaway up in, in the Austrian Alps. And, and I think it's magnanimous of both of us, uh, Jeremy, that we have, you know, when talked about branded uh, losers and, 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 and loss of brand value, that we haven't even mentioned Manchester United. So well done for you and are both rising <laughs> above the, the, uh, the temptation to mention, to mention Manchester United. But Jeremy, thank you so much. And again, to all the listeners, thanks for joining us. Please go and read the report, and I would say read back, Jeremy's right, read back the last two or three. It gives the context for uh, the 22, uh, 2022 report, which is very readable, very accessible. So, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us uh, today. Thank you, Gordon. Uh, guru, as you are. Uh, it's been absolutely my pleasure and privilege, and uh, I look forward to chatting again. Not too far away, I hope, with you in the dock. We have the African 150 rankings coming out just before Africa Day, which of course is the end of May. So uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to pick up that as well. We look forward to that one. And to all the listeners out there, let's keep talking. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond and hopefully we can bring that into the show.
Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.